0: It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He, ha- he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to, se- to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of the Unleavened bread Bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the en- at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. "Quick, get up," he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. This the angel said. Then the angel said to him, "Put on your clothes and sandals." And Peter did. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the gate, the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they walked through it. When they had walked the length of one street suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came To himself and said now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating when this had dawned on him he went to the house of Mary the mother of John also called Mark where many people had gathered and were praying Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. (coughs) You are out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, the brother and brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. May God add his blessing to this reading.
1: Thanks, Hadley. Life's tough. I'm at home by myself without Karina for the weekend. She's in Sydney at a retreat and I get the cold at the same time. No one to pamper me and look after me. So it's nice to have Hadley go and get me a drink of water. Thanks, mate. Good on you. Well, as we come to have a look at this together, this passage, please keep your Bibles open because uh, we're actually going to jump a little bit behind where chapter 12 is. I'm going to go a little bit further than what we read uh, because it's a whole passage, it's it's a compact section that's brought together. And uh, you get the idea of what uh, Luke is on about here in Acts by seeing the whole picture, so we're going to be looking at the whole lot. Uh, As you see on the back of your notices, there's an outline, if you want to look at that, it's fairly brief, but it'll give you a bit of an idea of where we're going, and the title of uh, this morning is Who's Got the Power? Uh, So as we come and think about that together, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. We thank you, Lord, as we look at your word in the Bible, as we read it, uh, Lord, it comes alive to us and we see what you're up to and uh, what you're on about. And Lord, that we see uh, your hand involved in history. And Lord, as we see your hand involved in history, we also see your hand involved in people's lives, and we experience your hand involved in our lives. We pray, Lord, this morning, that as we look at this together, that you will open up uh, the eyes of our heart, Lord, to see you, and to understand you more, and to be changed and challenged by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's one rule that I think all parents should have and all fathers especially should have. Now, listen to this, guys, if you're younger than me and you've got kids growing up, this is the one rule that you've got to have. You must keep the upper hand on your children at all times. You've got to keep the upper hand. It's vitally important. Well, the way that we worked that in our family is we used to have wrestling matches where I would lay on the floor on the, in, the, in our lounge room and the kids would circle me and then try and overpower me. Never let them win, and I never did let them win. They always got close, but never, that cl- never quite get there. Alexander can testify to that, maybe. Uh, as they grew up, I used to take on Alexander and, ha- and Lachlan together, and then when Hamish came along, well, I'd take on the three of them. And I could still handle the three of them for a while, but not anymore. So the wrestling match is out for the older two. No longer do I wrestle with them, but I still have the power because it's moved to the table tennis table where I still have the power. I still rule. They still can't beat me. You've got to hold on to that dance. You've got to hold that no matter what. Now, at some point in time, I'm sure I'm not going to hold the power completely. But there is one person who does hold the power always. There is one person who will always win. There is one who will always be on top. And that is what I think this passage is all about today in Acts chapter 12. You see, God will not be overpowered. God will not lose. God will always get his way. To see that, we're going to look at the story of King Herod and his attempt to overpower, his attempt to be God, his attempt to be king and have his way but we're going to see that God has his way. So let's look at it together. Make sure you've got your Bibles open if you can, please, and follow along with us as we see the story unfold. So we're going to jump back into chapter 11 just briefly and we're going to see what was happening because what happens in chapter 11 gives us a bit of a picture of what's going to happen in chapter 12 so we understand it a little bit better. Have a look at chapter 11, verse 19. It says this, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen... Uh, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. If you can remember back in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of Jesus' followers, he wasn't a disciple, he's one of his followers, was stoned to death. And when he was stoned to death, It became a great persecution that broke out across all Christians and so it sent them out of Jerusalem. They got sent out, all out and over the place. And when we get to Acts chapter 11, this is about seven or eight years later. don't realise that, do you? It's only about three or four chapters down the track, but it's about seven or eight years later and they've spread out. They've gone and they've moved throughout the countryside. You see, back when this happened to Stephen, people thought if you kill Stephen we persecute the Christians that are happening around there, then it will die out. That will be the end of it. But it hasn't happened that way. I read a story recently about oyster farmers in America in the 60s had a starfish problem. And uh, they dredged the starfish up, they got them out, and then they chopped them up, and then they threw them back in. They didn't realise that God had designed these starfish that when you chop them up they actually grow another starfish. And so they thought they were destroying the starfish, but actually they multiplied the starfish And they had more problems than they thought that's a bit like this with the Christians isn't it the people thought they're going to chop them all up kill them knock them out and that'll be the end of it but no they grow and get bigger and it becomes a worldwide phenomena which hasn't stopped growing that is still growing today you see they thought that they were going to be able to destroy God's plan but you can't do that God's plan continues people start hearing about Jesus and people start believing him. Look at verse 21 again. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Have a look at verse 24. He was a man of full of uh, the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Rather than destroy them, more and more people heard about Jesus and more and more, and more people believed in Jesus. What they thought was going to destroy god uses to multiply see if you can remember where this came from out of the bible you intended to harm me but god intended it for good to accomplish what now being done the saving of many lives that's it genesis 50 verse 20 for who was it for joseph joseph was banished his, his brothers threw him in a well thought he was dead Uh, he got sold into slavery he got molested by um, a woman and then he got he got taken to become one of the greatest leaders in egypt all because god's hand was on him it looked like they were going to destroy him but god's will will be done and the very next thing that uh, joseph says to his brothers straight after that he says so don't be afraid why because god is in control I don't know about you, but sometimes I look around the world and I think, "What is God doing here? Why? What's happening?" There's a tragedy. There's a young life taken or a life crippled, and we think, "What on earth is going on?" Well, the first thing that we get out of the out of the Bible, and we can see from today's passage, is the fact that we aren't living in a perfect world, and tragedy happens. And what it does do is make us long for perfection, long for eternity. But secondly, as we see from this passage, and if we read the Bible and you see the history of God at work, you see that you need to trust that he has it in control. We may not see it. We may not understand it. But be assured, God is working it out for his plan. And here in chapter 11, at the end of chapter 11, it looks like nothing can stop the good news of Jesus spreading. It looks like it's on a wildfire. It's taken off. It's taken over the world. It's greater than any other computer system. You know, It's better than Microsoft. It's taken over the whole lot. Better than Coke. It's spread throughout the world. So can anyone stop it? Can anyone bring it to a halt? Can anyone stop God? Well, have a look at chapter 12. see that a guy's about to try and stop it we're going to see about Herod but before we get there just go back a little bit because we see here for the very first time uh, have you ever wondered where the word Christian came from why we're called Christians well here it is have a look back there uh, in verse got to check where it is now uh, in verse 26 27 there 26 and when they'd found him, he brought him into Antioch. So for the whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and talked great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. It was like their nickname. The nickname of these people who follow Jesus are Christians. Christ followers is the name of it. And it's a nickname that stuck. Some nicknames we don't want to stick, do they? Like the whale. Someone here was called the whale for a while. Or like a brick on wheels. Uh, that some of them talk about the football guys, or the fat boy, or the phantom, or one that I didn't like particularly very much that stuck with me was called Bandsaw. Uh, you probably wonder why they called me Bandsaw. Well, the, today, you can probably hear it quite distinctly, that my voice sometimes gets a really yeah <laughs> sound to it. <laughs> and when I'm on the hockey field, I'm yelling out to people that go like that, that they call me Bandsaw. Now, you know that. You're not allowed to let anyone else know that. Okay, tell me, Chook. Maybe because of your legs, A. Chook. We won't hold that against you either, mate. So don't let that out. But some nicknames, they stick when you don't want them to, but some nicknames stick and you do want them to. And this one, Christian, is a good name to stick, isn't it? Christ Followers. It's a name to be proud of. A name that we desire more and more people to make their own, to become Christ followers, to become Christians. And with are that not yet Christian. We want people to become now Christians, people who love Jesus now. So the gospel message is on a roll. So who can stop it? Who can pull it to a halt? Well, that's where King Herod's story comes in. Notice how Luke's brought the picture forward. He says, we're on a roll. We're moving. Can anyone stop it? Look at chapter 12, verse 1. What's Herod up to here? It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, just before Passover this happened. Remember someone else who got taken just before Passover as well. You see here, Herod is out to destroy the church. He's out to put it down he's out to destroy christians and he starts off pretty convincingly doesn't he first of all he has james knocked out taken out he's one of the big boys you can see him like a mafia get rid of that bloke we want him gone and they do they kill james and james is one of the big boys james wasn't one of the little guys on the field james was one of the disciples he was the brother of John. He's one of the sons of Zebedee, the ones who asked to sit beside Jesus on the throne. He is one of the top echelons of the Christian church at this point in time. And Herod kills him, knocks him off. Imagine if that happened to someone in this place here. They knocked off someone who, maybe they killed me. You'd be I don't know about you, but if they killed someone who I thought was you know, up there, involved in the church, one of the leaders, one of the preachers, You'd be scared. You'd be worried. Imagine the disciples. Imagine the church. One of their brightest sparks is gone. And then not only that, he takes a second blow, doesn't he, here? Hits them with one and then he goes for a second manoeuvre and he gets Peter and throws Peter in jail. And he does that because he thinks he's getting cred from the Jews. The Jews were excited about that. Thought he was getting a good name. Hey, I'm doing something positive here. I'm denting this movement of God. So they put Peter in jail with the intention to have him killed too. Look at verse 4. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. What that meant was to bring him out in front of the Jews and have them him, we want him dead. That was a death sentence he was looking for. He's not looking just to sit him in jail for 40 or 50 years. He wants him dead. That's what he's after and he was serious about it wasn't he he's posted four guards of four lots around him to stop him from getting or doing anything to him and then we find out later there was actually a second lot of guards outside and then a, a, a metal gate as well he's and peter has to sleep beside two guards now that's a horrible thought isn't it imagine the smell of sleeping next to two old roman guards Imagine having to go to the toilet and they're chained to them. It's gross, isn't it? It's a horrible situation. This isn't just a nice situation. Peter is in a terrible situation. And Herod thought he had a cover, didn't he? He thought, I've got the guards in place. I've got the gates up. He thought he had God in a headlock. Thought I'm in for the final blow here. I can knock him out. I'm going to put it all to rest tomorrow when I get Peter and have him killed. But God has other plans and he frees Peter miraculously. And we read about that and the angel comes and he frees him. But look at Herod's response in verse 18. In the morning there was no small commotion. You could imagine that, wouldn't you? There would be no small commotion. Two blokes, chained to a bloke, wake up in the morning. (laughs) He's gone. One of them blaming the other one for snoring too loud because they couldn't hear him escape. There'd be a whole lot of stuff going on, wouldn't there? The guards out the front, the doors up. How did he get out? Well, what does Herod do? He said, no, oh, he's not happy. Herod is ropeable. After Herod, in, in verse, nine, uh, verse 19, after Herod had thought, uh, had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. He was not happy. Not only was he going to kill Peter, but now he wipes out all the guards. So that's four lots of four he wipes out. He is not a happy chap, is he? He thinks he's had got God in a headlock. But God frees Peter beyond what he could possibly imagine. But does not stop there? Because Luke gives us a little bit more information about this guy, Herod, too. Look what he says later. He says, Herod goes on and gives a bit of a story about Herod. We've heard about Herod trying to stop here. And now we hear a bit more, which is a strange account, really, in the whole setup of things. Have a look at what happens uh, there in verse, the end of verse 19. It's got a little heading there, Herod's death. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a little while. He'd been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the sword of blast, secured the supporters' blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat in his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of God, not of man. Immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. you got to wonder why that's there, don't you? Why have we just heard about that part of Herod? I mean, the story of Peter was pretty miraculous, wasn't it? Why does Luke include that? Because Luke wants to show you and me and everyone else that God is in control and don't mess with him isn't he that's the picture Herod thinks he's got the power but God's the one who's got the power here they are they're thinking uh Herod's sitting on the throne he thinks he's got it all sorted Uh, he's got it worked out the people are bowing down to him say hey mate you're a god aren't you look at that powerful speech you've given no one could do that unless they're god next minute, oh stomach cramps and he's taken away He's there thinking, "Hey, I've got it all. I've got it. I'm, I'm, I'm the best there is." Next thing, bang, stomach cramps, and we find out here in the Bible that he dies. But you also find out that there was a, a Jewish historian around at the similar time called Josephus, and he writes exactly this: that Herod had stomach problems and he died of worms. The same thing. Horrible worms, guys. you got to get your tablets, eh? Hey? What do you reckon? You need your worming tablets. You see, God is not to be messed with. God is in control. Don't mess with him. You thought you were in control, Herod, but you're not. You think you're in control of your life now, but you're not. You see, life isn't all about you. It's all about God. Remember the beginning of Purpose Driven Life, the very first chapter in that book, is the greatest statement. Life is not all about you. It's all about God. As a We hear Herod, he, he found out the hard way, didn't he? Now we don't want to find out the hard way, do we? It's a good warning for us this morning, isn't it? We may not end up uh, with stomach worms and so forth and dying like him, but we don't want to die in a destiny and an eternity without God. We don't want that. You see, where we stand sometimes, I think that we think that we're the king and the director of our lives, don't we? In the day-to-day running of things, it looks like we make decisions to do stuff We can have it all sorted. We've got the plans of how we're going to be financially secure. We've got our plans of where we're going to go on holiday. We've got our plans of where we're going to be down in 15, 20, 30 years' time. We've got the plans of how we're going to get there. But in the end, it's God's plans that will come to fruition. And the key for you and I is to come in line with his The key for you and I is to start to walk in God's plans today. If you've done that before, if you've put your trust in Jesus said, I want to follow you, then stop playing with God. That's a warning for us, isn't it? If you haven't done that before, then please do it today. Don't wait. God has got it in control, guys, and God, and you're going to meet him one day. And the worst place to meet him is not as his friend. Meet him knowing him in Jesus. That's the best place to be. But if you do know him and you do trust in him, you said yes to Jesus, then stop playing with him. He's not someone to be trivialised, is he? He's not your toy. He's not your comfort bear as such. He's not your genie that you just rub in the corner when everything's going bad and you want to need him there just for that time. Stop thinking that you know better than God. That you can organise things better without him. In other words, stop sinning. That's what we do when we want to go outside of God's world and his plan is with sinning. We need to start living for him, don't we? And seriously start living for him. Not just verbally giving him assent and saying, hey God, you're there, but no, hey God, you are in control. Your plan will be done. Not mine, yours. And start living to work within that. Start living to know him as his rightful place in our lives, as king of our lives. Because this story tells us that ultimately his plan will win he's got the power not you not me only him I don't know about you but I often feel that uh, life if we're travelling and we want to live in God's will then that is freedom when we're living and walking in God's will, that is freedom. When we feel tension, it's when we're actually trying to stretch that to ours. It's almost like a rubber band, isn't it, when you take it this way. Now, it can stretch a long, long, long way. You can run with it. But if you pull it this way, it goes all skew if, doesn't it? If we're pulling against God's will, then we're at tension in our lives. When we're going in God's will, then we know the freedom of walking with him walking in God's will will know freedom and joy pulling against it will be frustration and resistance walking in his will is freedom and joy guys let's get serious about that I reckon that's what that's telling us, let's get serious about it well what was Herod up to? he was trying to be king, not just of the people but over life and over God and it didn't work do you see Luke's intention for this passage? God's got the power. He's got it, guys, and no one else. And he will win, and he will achieve his will. So what were the believers up to at this time? What were the church doing? Oh, well, they are doing some good things, I reckon. Look at verse 5 in chapter 12. Jump back. Uh, they were praying. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Ah, it's a great option, isn't it? They had no control. So where do they go? To the person who does have control. They went to the one with the power. They came to God. But were they completely sold out for God? I'm wondering, you know, did they completely believe that God could perform a miracle? Did they have faith bigger than a mountain? Were they trusting and believing? Were they really going forward? Well, I reckon chapter 12 and 14 just gives us a little cameo into what these guys were like and a little story for us and something for us to learn. Look at verse 12. Peter's freed from prison here, he's walking around, uh, he's a bit dazed, he's a bit stunned as you can imagine uh, and then there's a bit of a comedy routine, look what happens here. When there's a dawn on him he went to the house of Mary the mother of John also called Mark where many people had gathered and were praying, they were doing a good thing, they were praying. Peter knocked at the door, it was probably in the middle of the night sometime, Peter knocked at the door and a deer rode her she comes down to the door. She gets to the door, and she doesn't open up because I didn't open up in there until I knew who it was. asks who's there, and Peter says he's there. She goes, "Peter, isn't that wonderful?" And she bolts off, leaves the door closed, leaves Peter outside, and bolts off to tell the people who are praying. She runs upstairs. She gets up there. She says, "Hey, Peter's at the door." And what do they say? "Yes, I knew he would be." God's powerful, isn't he? God's going to do this. We've been praying in faith for this, and it's going to happen. No. They don't do that. Why do? Are do? Oh, you joking? She's no, no, it's not Peter. You're having a vision, dear writer. Come on, uh, it's it's an angel or something. It's not Peter, really. Couldn't Peter's in jail. No way he could be out. Yeah, look, we're praying, but no, it couldn't happen. <laughs> Did you see what it's like for these guys? That's what happened to them. They couldn't believe it. They were there, they were praying. But I'm not too sure how much faith they had in their prayers, did they? They didn't expect it. And Peter's out the front at the door. Do you know what that teaches us? God works despite your faith. God works despite my faith. God works despite our faith. We might have faith to move mountains. We might have no faith at all that God still works out his plan. Someone told me the other day that God only works where there is faith. And I said to that person, I don't have that smaller view of God. That's what this passage is telling us, isn't it? These guys didn't actually believe that God could do that. It wasn't their faith that got Peter out of jail. It was God who got Peter out of jail, despite their faith. See the difference? God is bigger than my faith. God is bigger than your faith. God is bigger than our faith all put together. He can do whatever he likes. And if God and his workings were tied to my faith, then you and me would be in huge trouble. Wouldn't we? If it was based on how much faith I had, we're cactus. My view of God is that he is bigger than I am. He's bigger than my faith. He can do imaginably more than I can think of or possibly ask for, says Paul in Ephesians 2 verse 20. 3 verse 20, sorry. In Ephesians 3 verse 20 he says, I pray to a God who can do immeasurably more than you can possibly imagine or ask for. He's greater than that, isn't he? He's greater than that. Now here's a great saying I read the other day, which is uh, sort of linked, but it's a great saying. It says this, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. But don't think that God's tied to your will. It's a good verse, isn't it? Someone writes, not mine. <laughs> Someone else said it. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. But don't think God is tied to your will. He's tied to his, isn't he? You see, God is greater than Herod. God is greater than his followers' faith. God's will will be achieved despite Herod's plan. God's will will be achieved despite the followers' doubt. And what is God's will? Well, have a look at chapter 12, verse 24. Chapter 12, verse 24 says this, that the word of God continued to increase and spread. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. That is, God's will is that all that are his from all the nations will come to him. That's God's will. That people from all nations will hear about Jesus. His death as a punishment for our sin. His resurrection as his victory over sin and death. And that through Jesus, we can have direct access to God for eternity. That we can be his friend forever. And that message cannot be stopped. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... uh, As we sit down and as we just contemplate what we've just read and what we've just heard, Father, we ask that by your Spirit you will touch our hearts where we needed to be touched, that you'll bring home a truth about you that we needed to hear, Uh, that you'll challenge us in a part of our life that we needed to be challenged in, that you'll encourage us in an area that we needed to be encouraged. We ask that by your spirit, Lord, through your word, that we'll have it pierced through our hearts so that, Lord, it will change us to be more like Jesus in every way. Lord, that's a big call. And, Lord, sometimes we struggle against that and think that we're in control. But Lord, ultimately, the only person who's in control is you. Help us, Lord, to rest in that. Help us, Lord, to strive to live within that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.